Billy, I know that half the reason we book guests on this podcast is that we want to get better at our own jobs. But I think you might have cut this one a bit close to the wire. This is true, Randy. I'm launching something really exciting tomorrow. And we just happen to have product launch guru and CEO of Ignition, Derek Osgood, on the podcast today. But we were meant to talk to him a while back, and I would have had plenty of time to put his advice into action. Sadly, COVID launched itself at you, so this interview was slightly delayed. Uh, Yes, sorry about that. I'm always ruining launches. And we are (laughs) talking to him today. And did you know that Derek's co-founder at Ignition is one of our former guests, Kartik Suresh? It's a small, small world. Well, unfortunately, I have done lots of what Derek recommends ready for my launch, but not all of it. So to find out how you can get the most out of your product launches, just keep on listening. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Derek, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Really pumped to pump the jam on this stuff. So before we get into the whole idea of uh, launching products and doing that stuff, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into this whole product game? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, the, the TLDR on me is that I basically straddled a whole bunch of stuff from you know product marketing to growth to product management to, to now CEO. And basically, you know, I, I originally became a marketer um, because I thought that it would, you know, kind of best prepare me to be a CEO. And part of that is that I actually view marketing through a lens that, you know, mimics a lot more closely kind of what has become modern product management. And, you know, I originally was in kind of a brand manager role, which really looks a lot like product management when you're in entertainment and consumer products. Um, so, you know, I, I started my career in entertainment. I was launching big AAA games as a PM at PlayStation. And then, you know, I've basically been in and or around, you know, venture-backed startups ever since. So uh, I was the head of marketing uh, and or product marketing for a bunch of early stage startups and like every possible vertical you can imagine. So I did like messaging, payments, field service management, every everything you, under the sun. Um, and then I did some corporate innovation stuff, uh, running marketing across a whole portfolio of companies at, um, at BBVA. Uh, in their fintech innovation arm, both kind of launching and scaling companies that we've either incubated or acquired. And then, you know, most recently, I was one of the first few dozen folks at Rippling, where I helped stand up the uh, the product marketing function. And also at that point, like we didn't really have PMs. So I was kind of doing a lot of the, the PM work as well, um, as we went up from, uh, from zero to about 20 million in ARR. And, you know, ever since I've been, uh, I've been working on building a company uh, called Ignition. Okay, that's a hugely diverse array of stuff. So we're going to ask you, which one was your favorite to launch and why? Yeah, most favorite launch. I mean, I think uh, it depends on if you're asking me my favorite tech launch or my favorite, you know, like software launch or my favorite launch in general. I, you know, launching stuff at PlayStation, it's it's somewhat 
incomparable uh, in terms of how fun it is in that, you know, A, you're just working on really fun content because you're watching games, but also, obviously, you have a lot more resources at hand, so you're able to do kind of bigger, splashier launch planning, um, and, you know, you're able to just tap into a lot more uh, a lot more cultural impact um, that you don't really have available to you if you're launching uh, stuff that's a little bit more boring like b2b SaaS. Um, but <laughs> so I think my favorite my favorite one to be honest was uh, was a game at PlayStation called uh, Beyond Two Souls. Um, it was a game that you know had it, it was kind of the first of its category where it was really focused on delivering a you know story and kind of more of an interactive cinematic experience as opposed to you know, a real like game that you were playing. And uh, it was really fun because we got to go, like we positioned the whole launch around launching an entertainment brand as opposed to like gaming brand. And so we got to go like screen the game at Tribeca Film Festival, get to work with celebrities on it. It was it was just kind of like a really fun experience. <laughs> uh, so that's probably my fave. That definitely does sound fun. And, um, but that was kind of like earlier on, I guess, in your in your career. Um, Mm -hmm. And I imagine, I mean, the difference between, like you say, launching a game versus launching a B2B SaaS product is quite different. But then also Mm -hmm. has like just launching products in general changed a lot over the years and the way that we uh, approach it? I think it has and it hasn't. I I think, you know, basically... and I, and I wouldn't necessarily say that the way that it's changed has changed for the better when it comes to actual adoption driving. Um, you know, I think inevitably companies, especially software companies, have definitely moved much more towards a continuous deployment cycle where, you know, they're shipping things on a much, much more rapid cadence. And that just doesn't allow for as much time to invest in like real go-to-market planning around these products and you know building up to bigger splashier launches, um, and you know I think what that allows for on the positive side is it allows for a lot more agility on the development side of things, um, and it allows for you to iterate much more quickly on customer feedback and get to you know a point where the product is does really have true kind of product market fit. Um, but I think you know on the downside if you are launching something that you have done the upfront research and and done the upfront iteration on, um, you're going to inevitably get lower adoption um, and, you know, lower performance when you don't actually put, you know, a more concerted go-to-market plan in place around launches. And I think, you know, a lot of companies have, have sort of like stopped truly launching things because they just either don't understand how to do it they don't have the resourcing in order to like properly plan around it, or they're just trying to ship things so quickly that you know they're 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 just not devoting the time and energy that they they really should be towards building out you know a concerted process. Um, and I think it's it's hurt some companies. Like you see, companies like early days Uber was fantastic at launching things, and every single thing that they launched had some kind of event tied around it, and you just saw really really rapid uptake of almost everything that they shipped as opposed to, you know, a lot of companies now, they just kind of think that, Hey, we're going to send an email to customers. And that's the extent of the, uh, of the announcement that we need to make in order to get people to use this new thing that we built. And then they're just consistently underwhelmed with how folks, you know, end up adopting the products that they're shipping. That's a really interesting point because I kind of, when you think of launching a product, like, we didn't cover this at the beginning and we probably should like, what even does launching a product mean? Like, is it just 
saying, hey, it's available now? Or does it come with a whole go-to-market plan and marketing and strategy? And uh, how, how do you approach it when you're working with other people? And I guess people ask you for advice quite a lot because you know, it's one of the your sort of areas of expertise. Like if someone's asking you what, like I'm about to release this thing, um, mm-hmm. ha- like how do you advise people to think about how big the launch should be or like what the launch should consist of? And I put launch in inverted commas, but n- that no one can see. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, the the word launch is obviously kind of like a trap word that, uh, that honestly, like we wrestle with when we're trying to explain what we do at Ignition because, you know, to every to hammer like everything looks like a nail and so when you talk to a lot of like pms they're thinking about the launch process in terms of actually just shipping the product when you talk to a lot of product marketers they are really thinking about the go-to-market plan around the launch and how do you actually announce this thing to customers and then drive ongoing customer adoption really like both sides of the house should be thinking about this in the same way um but I think, you know, really when when we think about this and when I talk to people about it, I am um, talking mostly around go to market. Like, how do you actually deliver a product to customers in a way that maximizes the chances that they will use that product and that they that that will that product will then you know inevitably contribute to revenue? And so I think, you know, a lot of companies, what they what they should be thinking about more ends up being one of the biggest areas that gets forgotten is just internal enablement and internal alignment around the launch. Like they, they forget the fact that you have, if you're a company of, you know, 300, 500 people or so, you are a company that has a built in sales force and a built in marketing engine just in the form of those employees. And so making sure that all of those people know exactly how to talk about this new thing that you've created and making sure that they are all, promoting it in the proper way on launch day on in the weeks leading up to in the weeks coming out of launch um, just gives you a head start that 99% of companies never take advantage of. And then beyond that um, also the other thing that the companies end up kind of forgetting is they, you know, now in software land, they treat segmentation as, Oh, we're going to like, ship this announcement to customers and then maybe there's some people who are using this feature that are you know maybe a little bit better of a segment for us to focus on in our messaging but mostly they just broadcast an announcement to their whole audience when they ship to beta their whole audience when they ship to general availability and the reality is again the bit the way to make a launch successful is to find a really really passionate group of early users before you ever even go out and make the announcement about this thing and have those users promote on your behalf, but also have stories about how those users are experiencing value from your product. And I think so many companies, they announce this thing and they're like, hey, we just built this thing. It's awesome. Go use it. But they don't actually tie that to, hey, we just, but they don't go the extra step of saying, hey, we just launched this thing. Here's three people that we have already shipped this to. And here's how they're, how they're getting value out of that product and how you can take the ways that they're getting value and apply it to your business or, you know, personal life or whatever, you know, whatever we're trying to serve. So, you know, I think companies have, have just underinvested in general in, in the, uh, the go-to-market process and proper kind of upfront planning and communication, both internally and to, and to external customers. Derek, you just talked about, uh, you know, pre-testing stuff with, with customers. I'm curious because I've seen this go wrong any number of times. 
how do you qualify a customer to partner with to do the do the early whether you call it private beta whatever it might be how do you make sure you've got the right partner for that yeah i mean a lot of this a lot of this comes down to how much time you have to plan obviously like if you're just shipping a beta really fast and you have a one week beta before a release it's really tough to do a lot of intense qualification here but you know for larger launches where you are you know spending a month two months three months planning the cycle out um the the best way to do it is first go mine your support tickets go figure out like who has asked for the thing that you're building and then get them to commit up front to some degree of uh commitment around giving you feedback so you know build a formal beta program and actually have them sign up for this thing and like apply to the beta program and raise their hand as I will give you feedback at this cadence in exchange for early access to this product. Um, and then also, you know, within those people, make sure that the folks that you're talking to are, you know, first of all, under NDA around those new features so that they don't go leak the announcement. Like you want your announcement to be as flashy as possible, which means that you actually need to keep it somewhat confidential while it is in beta and in early testing. So make sure people are willing to commit to that. Like I said, you know, make sure they're willing to give you give you feedback and then make sure that those folks are also willing to give you case studies at the end of it. And they're willing to actually put their name on paper and say, hey, you know, if we deliver value to you in the way that we're promising you, you will then help promote us um, when it's time to come talk to other customers. So I think a lot of it is like qualification around how they're going to engage with your beta. But then when it comes to actually identifying who the right users are for a specific product, a lot of that comes down to you having done your research on why you're building that product in the first place. So making sure that you really understand the personas that you're building for, making sure that you've uh, really connected those personas to some kind of value propositions and value statement that explains what your product's going to do for them. Um, and making sure that then you're just mining both the qualitative and quantitative data that you have available to you, whether it's, you know, product analytics and you're looking at certain other features that people are using that are indicative of them being a potential good user of this new thing that you built, or whether that's just them having like submitted support tickets, like I mentioned. So we've kind of covered a little bit around like what's included in a launch, but one of the things I really wanted to ask you about was um, in this day and age, we tend to have a very specific format around alpha test, private beta, public beta, and then launched just kind of happens. Um, Mm -hmm. And you get the excuse when you're in like beta that it doesn't have to work perfectly or, um, and then, you know, so I've seen some companies, I think Google do this really well, where they kind of allow you to try out a new feature or a new version of their product. Um, but you can kind of switch back to the other ones. So at the days of like that big bang launch, just like gone forever, or do you think that still happens, but in a, in sort of like a different way? Yeah, no, I, I think it happens in a different way. So uh, like I mentioned, you know, much earlier um, on here, I think too many companies have assumed that because you have a private public beta process that you don't need to do that big splashy launch because you're just doing this, you know, quote, they hide behind this idea of like iterative launching where they're just like, oh, we're just going to go A-B test this stuff until it works. And mm-hmm. I think the the reality is what you're doing is a disservice to yourself in terms of actually driving customer adoption. So I, I think, you know, when you look at larger organizations like Google that do these big, you know, private beta programs where people can just kind of test them out. 
um, really what they're doing is they're moving the big splashy launch up in the cycle. So they're actually doing the announcement and they're making a bunch of noise about the thing as it rolls out to beta. Because inevitably, like once you're at scale and people are paying attention to every single thing that you do, if you're if you're Google, if you're Apple, if you're Facebook, um, then you know if you ship something to private beta or public beta, news is going to get out of it. And inevitably, the, then the press is going to be less interested when you actually like make the announcement and say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, this thing is now live for everybody. So the right way to get ahead of it is if you can't actually keep that beta program under wraps is that you actually do a launch ahead of time and you do kind of a pre-launch where you announce that thing at beta. And then you're just collecting signups basically for when the thing actually ships to general availability. And then again, you're able to launch on the day of general availability with a pre-baked batch of people that you can go immediately ping and say, hey, we just shipped this thing that you signed up for, that you've already raised your hand, expressed interest in. We already know that you're qualified to use it. And then you're just amplifying the bigger announcement that you're making across your other channels by leveraging those users who have already signed up and raised their hand. So I think, you know, the, the days of the big splashy launch, I, I personally think like are, are not gone and they should not be gone. And, you know, companies should, if anything, be doing it more than they are today. But I think that the way that they're, that are, they are executed is a little bit different than it was, you know, back in the days when you had two year long planning cycles to launch a, a semiconductor. Um, so I think, I mean, things have shifted, but you know, Shades of the same. (laughs) If 2022 is the year you're looking to advance your career, expand your network, get inspired, and bring the best products to market, then join Mind the Product for their next conference this May. At MTPCon San Francisco plus Americas, you'll soak up invaluable insights from an epic lineup of the best in product, covering a range of topics that will challenge and inspire you to step up as a product manager. You've got the option to go fully digital for both days or get the best of both worlds with a hybrid ticket, digital on day one and in person at the SF Jazz in San Francisco on day two. I was at the most recent edition of this event in London last year, and it was just awesome. Get tickets now at mindtheproduct.com. It sounds like in some ways you're trying to pre-script a narrative. What is the story that you're trying to tell and hope that it it goes the way that you, you want it to? So to that end, what makes for a successful launch? I mean, you can have a really great first day and then crickets after that, and that might not be successful, or it might be that it goes a bit slowly and ramps up. So how do you take control of the narrative internally and externally, and how do you define success? Yeah, so I mean, obviously the first step in that is to actually have a perspective on what the narrative should be. That That is like really fundamentally where so many companies in today's world of really fast order of shipping don't ever invest the time and energy to figure out up front, like, what do we want this thing to be when it grows up? They just kind of ship it into the world and then they hope that the market will create the narrative around that product that they, that they you know, that is beneficial to them. But in order to actually create a position in customers' minds, you have to invest up front 
in defining what you want that position to be, in defining an actual set of steps that you're going to take in order to get that, get people to believe that position. And then you also need to invest in having a real, I mean, this goes back to my point earlier about, you know, internal enablement and internal communication. You need to make sure that everybody in your company is kind of telling the exact same story. And, and that, because that translates to how your sales team is explaining it to customers, how customers are then digesting it, how, how your PR team is pitching it to press, making sure that all of those people are telling the exact same story is the only way that you're going to get a consistent message to the customers that you actually care about influencing in this case. So um, a lot of it is just defining, you know, doing the upfront work to define what you want that narrative to be, then doing the upfront work of communicating that narrative in a way that's digestible to all the different internal stakeholders that you have. And then by proxy of communicating to them, communicating it to all the external stakeholders that they have, which will then, you know, communicate it to your customers. Um, and then I think, you know, the, the last bit is just making sure that you don't think about launches and think about, you know, go to market planning as we're going to launch this thing and then it ends at general availability. Like the, the launch process starts when you've actually shipped the thing to everybody, because then post-launch, you need to continually be iterating on messaging. You need to have frameworks in place for collecting continuous feedback post-launch on how the narrative that you've created is resonating. Are people actually understanding it? Are pe is it is it helping to motivate the behavior that you want? And then, you know, how do how do you operationalize actually iterating on that and pushing it back into the the development cycle that you've got um, to in continue in improving both your marketing and your and your product. So I think um, you know just thinking through it as a process as opposed to just saying, you know, at the last second, hey, we're gonna go we need some copy to explain what this thing is that we built and we're gonna send it in an email to people. Um, that's that's the way that you just create really inconsistent messaging that nobody really understands. Mm. And they say that timing is everything. So when you're thinking about when to launch your product, like quite often it will be dictated by just when it's ready. <laughs> um, <laughs> but how can you use timing to your advantage? Um, you know, if you're thinking about sort of what's going on with your competitors or if there are events coming up or, you know, just like when it is in, in the, the, the year and, and stuff like that, what, how do you kind of think about that when you're planning your product launches? Yeah, so I think, um, I mean, there's some obvious things to take into account with, with timing. I mean, obviously, like you can't control when competitors are announcing things or, you know, what's going on kind of out in the external world. But you can avoid, you know, avoid, try and avoid holidays unless uh, there's something that's, you know, really, really relevant to your product happening on that holiday. Um, try and avoid, you know, Mondays and Fridays, because those are days that people are just paying a little bit less attention. But I think, you know, one of the big things that you can take advantage of when figuring out timing for launches, one is give customers a relatively consistent time at which you are launching and then making announcements so that they know to look out for that thing. This is something that I think a lot of companies forget to do. They just kind of ship things whenever they're done. Um, but even if all you're doing is saying like, hey, every week on Thursday, like Thursday is the day that we as a company are going to launch things. And then all customers know to come in and check like, hey, what's the new stuff that shipped this Thursday? Um, that alone has a huge impact on improving the effectiveness of your announcements 
You can also look at, you know, batching those announcements together on those days in order to create a bigger narrative around, you know, more strategic initiative. That's not just like, hey, we just ship this, this new feature. And then I think the other thing that you can take into account is like, don't feel like you do have to ship things the second that they are done. I think that, you know, it's so common for pressure from, you know, the C-suite or wherever you're getting it to, to say, hey, you know, we built this thing, when's it going live? Let's get it live as fast as possible. But the reality is if you spend even just one extra week putting in place, you know, a real quality go-to-market motion, you're just going to get dramatically better adoption around that product. And so, you know, don't be afraid to push back on timing and say, hey, you know, until not just the product building is done, but also the go-to-market enablement and communication is also in place, then you're not ready to launch and, you know, say, Hey, you know, let's, let's wait on this for another week. Um, so I think those are probably the big, the big tips that I would give, obviously like the more time you give yourself for planning, the more effective you're going to be, but, uh, but that's not always doable. <laughs> Can we talk about who takes the control of that, of that go to market plan? Just, I know sometimes it's a product manager, but, and you said you've done it uh, in that role before, but mm-hmm. We're seeing more and more product marketing folks around, and then there's the traditional marketing team as well. What's the best way to to work together, and who should be running this process? Yeah, I think um, it varies company to company. Obviously, like the shape and sizes of product teams and product marketing teams are, you know, they come in every possible form you can imagine. So sometimes product management owns this process. Sometimes product marketing owns this process. Um, I tend to view the best possible structure as like truly kind of shared ownership where, you know, the, the product marketing team is kind of leading the go to market process and the product team is really leading the, the kind of beta and development process. Um, and then, you know, they're working in lockstep from even the earliest stages of specking out the products that are being built so that, you know, these processes can run in parallel. Um, however, I think, you know, it's hard to say which one's the right one to own it. Um, the biggest piece of advice to make it work, though, is to involve both teams at even the earliest like customer research stages, because the more context each team has together in why decisions are being made, the better they're going to be able to craft a go-to-market strategy as you start building out like all the marketing communication for it. The, the thing to avoid which is un- unfortunately super common at lots of companies is the flaming bag handoff where you're just like, Hey, you know, we built this thing and now it's time, you know, for the marketing team to go market it. And you hand it off when it's, you know, just about to ship to beta or it's just about to ship to general availability. And, you know, you try and give them as much context as you can, but it takes time in order for the, the product marketing team to ingest that context in order for them to go conduct customer research, competitive research to understand how to craft a narrative around it. So it's way better if you're able to involve both teams together, you know, from the start. And you kind of touched on this just there with like the types of um, activities that a product marketer would do, but um just elaborate a bit more about how a product marketer is different to just your av- just your average marketing manager. I shouldn't like give them a bad rap. Like the marketing <laughs> managers are great as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think like product marketing, similar to product management, like takes a bunch of shapes and sizes of different companies. So there are some product marketers who are really more focused on like content creation, content marketing and sales enablement. There are some who are, who look a lot closer to like product managers 
Um, but I think the best way to think about it is, you know, most people think about marketing and they think about advertising and promotion. And so they're thinking about like, what, you know, what are the tactical things that are being done in order to promote this product? Like what channels are we using? What 10,000 pieces of creative are we, are we making to iterate on the single core piece of creative that's being deployed um, in order to support all those different channels? Like how are we deploying budgets to those individual channels? And I think, you know, that's where demand gen comes in. Like most people think of marketing as demand gen. And the reality is, is that product marketing looks a lot more similar to like product management. It's kind of the equivalent of the product management team for the product mar- for the marketing team. And so they're the ones who are kind of thinking going conducting all the research to really understand customers and be able to inform the way that you're telling the story to them. They're the ones who have all the market intel to understand, you know, like what competitors are good at and bad at and how to frame products relative to them in order to best drive motivation in customers' minds. They're the ones who are also developing kind of like the macro strategy for the go-to-market plan around, you know, what's the phasing and timing look like for this launch? You know, when should we be pushing things to beta or, or moving things from beta to GA? And then also like what channels at a very high level should we be thinking about based on where our customers live on a day-to-day basis? So um, they're really kind of the one, you know, they're, they're very different from the rest of the marketing team. And it's very funny. Like I talk to product marketers all day and, they're, uh, they're oftentimes, uh, tell, they refer to the marketing team as a totally different team. And, you know, they view product marketing as kind of its own entity. Um, it's probably a lot, clo- lot closer to product than anything. Mm. So if you were a, a kind of growing business, when, when would you look to employ a product marketer? When, when do you actually need one? Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to um, one of our investors, uh, Eaton Shaw, the other day, and he was telling me that, like, of all the B2B founders that he talks to, like, the one thing that they consistently tell him is, I wish that I'd hired product marketing earlier. Like, that, mm-hmm. that is consistent across every single company. And product marketing, there's a reason that kind of product marketing at the moment is seeing a really huge resurgence and boom in demand, um, which is that I think a lot of companies are realizing that's kind of one of the higher alpha roles that you can hire for. Um, I think it's it's a hard role to hire for when you are in the very early stages of your company because of the fact that most product marketers are more kind of strategic than tactical. And so, you know, in the early days where you're 50 people, you still need people who are just kind of executing and doing stuff and building things. And at that point, you know, you're really probably having the product team pinch hit and do the product marketing job um, up until you start reaching probably a hundred plus people is when you start really needing product marketing in-house because you start having multiple different stakeholders cross-functionally who are all kind of disconnected in the way that they think about who your customers are, who the right segments to be going after are, what the narrative to be telling them is. So, you know, I think like generally I would say that the right right time is right around, you know, 50 to 100 people or so. But I think generally if you're able to hire as your first marketing hire a product marketer who does have some demand gen chops and can manage tactically the process of going out and just acquiring customers and owning a number, that's the optimal time to hire them is like as soon as possible. But, you know, it's it's tough to do when you're just really tiny and you just need people to put people into the funnel. Um, <laughs> so, mm. And you kind of mentioned the hire in terms of like the number of people that you have, but I guess like with product launches, you might have like one product that you're not launching new products, you're just launching new features. So mm-hmm. do you see big feature releases 
uh, similar to product launches. So if you're hiring a product marketer, they would look after that part of the, the, the launch process yeah. of the, the main product as well. Totally. I mean, at the, at the early stages of a company, like until you actually make the leap from single product company to multi-product company, um, feature releases are product releases. And like those are, you know, when you're talking about the larger ones, definitely product marketing should be involved in that. I think oftentimes, you know, the a pitfall that companies run into with product marketing teams with their first product marketing hires, they try and have that product marketer like announce every single thing that gets built. And it's like every single tiny little feature release that gets built mm. gets the same amount of attention as every single large one because the CEO is like, hey, we invested a bunch of time and effort in building this thing. The CEO is excited about it. They're like, hey, I, I hired a product marketer to announce things. Let's go announce this stuff. Um, where the real value that that person can be spending more time adding to is um, really around you know customer research, informing the kind of bigger narrative that the company is trying to tell and seeing how those features fit into place within it. So, you know, I think oftentimes like companies should actually announce fewer of the smaller releases that they do or spend less effort on those and then have product marketing really get involved in, you know, the kind of tier one, tier two launches that are you know really really impactful either to the company's top level positioning or to pricing or to you know the way that cust or or it's just a really impactful feature for customers. So, um, so but yes, I, I think like feature launches until you are a multi product company look very very similar to product launches on the whole. Okay, so you've talked about a, a lot about what good looks like. You've talked about a few mistakes, uh, you know, over communicating, as you just said, launching on the wrong day, things like that. But what's what's the consistent rookie mistake that you see people making the first time they they start to take this on? What's the one thing that if you waved your magic wand, you'd never have to see people do again? Uh, I think that I mean the biggest one is just not having a process for this. Like it is, you come out and. You just are saying, hey, we're going to send, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned this once or twice, is like you just send an email and that's that's the equivalent of your launch process. That is just disaster waiting to happen because this, you're going to have features show up in the sales team's demos that they didn't even know were coming. And then they have to scramble to figure out how to talk about something they've never even seen, before, seen or heard of. Um, you're going to have marketing teams that aren't really communicating consistent messaging about those features, or it's just not even making its way into your demand gen efforts. You're going to have customers who are confused and, you know, you get a, if you do a good email, you get 50% open rates on it or so. And so that means half of the people that you're trying to announce this thing to, they never even see it or hear about it. So having multi-channel process where you can actually communicate something in, you know, an initial email, but then subsequent touch points, either in the product or in a release notes page or elsewhere um, is, is really important. And I think companies just, they, they wing it for too long and then they end up with, and your, your hygiene just gets worse the bigger you, you get. And if the longer you wing it for, the, the more pain it is to go and fix that process down the road. Um, so getting it in place, even a very lightweight process early can help save you tons and tons of time as you start to get bigger. Derek, this has been such a great talk. I'm actually launching some products tomorrow on our <laughs> website. And I'm really pleased to say that I have done most of the things, or as a team, we've done most of the things that you've talked about. But you've also given me a couple of little hints and tips of like extra things that I need to get into the office like tomorrow <laughs> and do straight away. 
So um, it's been really, really helpful and, um, and great to talk to you. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, likewise. Thank you guys so much for having us and uh, hope, the, hope the launches go well. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> The product experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg based band POW, that's P A U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. <laughs>